Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, live from the trade show floor at Grocery Shop 2019, the podcast series where we discuss the technologies, the companies, and the people that are shaping the evolution of retail. Today's episode is brought to us by our sponsors, Rebango. Rebango partners with retailers to eliminate lines and save people time. You can learn more about checkout food technology at rebango.com and Listener. Listener powers transactions and better checkout experiences across the customer journey with the most advanced ultrasonic, ultrasonic technology. Visit lisnr.com for more information. Today we're thrilled again, once again, our third podcast of the day at Grocery Shop to turn our spotlight on Jaron Waldman, the CEO of Rakuten Ready. Jaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm pumped because you're our latest, I think, OmniTalk fan, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. <laughs> listen, yeah. listen to our podcast recently. On the flight here, and I loved it. It's great. <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's Always good to hear. It's always great to hear. <laughs> thanks everything I feel we do so, so well, well informed now. <laughs> that's right. All the weekly news yeah. delivered right to your inbox. But hey, man, thanks for making time for us. Um, I was really excited we could get this scheduled. We've, we've actually been acquainted with you guys for a long time, probably four or five years now. And so I wanted to share the audience exactly some of that evolution that you guys have had as a company. So why don't we start there? Rakuten Ready, what is it? And specifically, what's been the origin story? Yeah, um, so companies started in uh, 2013. My co-founder and I, at the time, we were working at Apple on location services. And we said, you know, this click and collect thing is going to be really big. Um, and retailers need technology partners. So we were experts in location technology. Okay. And... Um, didn't know much about retail at the time, uh, so we, uh, but we quit our jobs, jumped out, started a company, called it Curbside because we thought uh, that was kind of like a, an interesting experience that retailers would be able to, to deliver if they knew when their customer was on approach to the store. How did you get to there, like even before you go where you're going to go next? Like how did you go, okay, you know, I think retailers could like this. Like what was... What was that seminal you moment? Know, it was actually it was driven by uh, yeah it was driven by personal experience. So I had okay. uh, I had a very young children when I was at Apple, and my wife was at home with the kids a lot, and I was working long hours, and I would be having to pick stuff up at Target on, sure. on my way home, uh, and I'd be wanting to see them before they fell asleep, wandering around in uh, this big box which wasn't familiar to me, and saying like I, you know what I really I want to get in and out quickly. So I, I felt like the inventory was in there. There should be a way to get it, get through it, and get out for those types of shopping trips where you just you want to get in and out as quickly as you can. So it's your own personal pain point as so a father. Exactly, I as a father, and then, and then it got into my head, and, and we were just like, "This has to happen. Like it's gonna happen. Like you know, it's just one of those things." And, and uh, couldn't get it out of our heads. Um, Apple wasn't gonna do it, and so we were like, "All right." Uh, let's go. Let, let's go try it out. Okay. Uh, yeah. Wow. With what, all the uh, all the yeah. What did that look like at at first? Like, what was the early prototype stages, and how did you guys decide where to go? Yeah. So it was it was interesting. Uh, our goal all along was to be a technology partner to retailers, mm-hmm. but it was such a kind of new experience that we actually built a consumer app first because it was going to take a really long time for a retailer to take our technology, package it into their click and collect and their order ahead. Um, so we felt like we needed to put a showcase out there that was like, here's the kind of best possible consumer experience that you could do. 
in click and collect and then uh, work with retailers to demonstrate it, show them, hey, here's here's how it could be, right? Um, and then transition it to them so that they can run it inside their own experiences. Okay. So that's the that's the approach we took. So and we that was curbside? That was cur- the app was called curbside. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it definitely served its purpose in terms of like, you know, we got up over a million users and uh, we got people familiar with like how you could basically have a really smooth click and collect experience, app based experience from a store. Um, and, uh, you know, people loved it, actually. That, that's it. We've heard that approach a few times now where um, people. Eventually, the place to go more B two B versus you know as you describe. Like, do you recommend that as people are starting off when they're kind of in a similar space? Or how do you? What are some of the lessons learned in, in that approach? It's a tricky transition. You know, I think um, retailers have been burned in the past, so they have a lot of skepticism if they feel like technology partners are trying to get in between them and their customer. Mm-hmm. So, you if you come in and you're gonna deliver a consumer experience and you're going to wrap a retailer into it, they're naturally and rightfully going to look at it a little bit skeptically. On the other hand, you got to, as a startup, you kind of have to start somewhere, right? So, you know, if you look back at where we were at, we launched in 2014, 2014, uh, 2014, there was click and collect out there, but it really wasn't very good. Uh, the, The state of the art in the industry was like, it was pretty rough. Well, and the retailers weren't ready for it, right? Like operationally, architecturally. Exactly. And so how did it work? Like you Because it was really unique in, in, in our opinion in terms of how, having seen it out in California back, gosh, for us it was probably, yeah, what? 2015 or 16. 2015, yeah. 2016. Like, yeah. How, yeah, how did it work? Like, how's it all, how was it set up? <laughs> yeah, well, so Target was our launch partner, uh, as you know. And uh, we got an Airstream trailer, wrapped our logo on it, and put it in front of one store in Sunnyvale, uh, working with the innovation team at Target, uh, who were great, like Casey Carl and Steph Farsh and those folks. Um, And they let us do it, and uh, we got immediately, people were like, what's that shiny trailer (laughs) with the teal logo that doesn't go with the red uh, Target bullet and um, bullseye? And then... uh, started taking orders and just started filling them and the demand kind of spoke for itself so we from there rolled out to 10 stores uh, and then hundreds of stores and transitioned the labor over to target doing the walkout so like probably Mm. when you saw it in the early Mm. days we had our own people staffing never our model to do that at scale so not like an instacart type of model where you insert another labor pool on top of the existing labor model in the store um, we always thought that this was something that the retailers should own, but you, we figured out a lot of operational. Like we learned a lot right by doing it ourselves, um, and that feeds into the consumer experience at the end of the day. So coming, sort of coming out of that Apple discipline of like thinking through the customer journey really carefully end to end, you kind of have to live that consumer experience and understand how the operational bottlenecks play back into it to kind of tune it and get the experience exactly right. So it was an important like stage for us to actually have the folks fulfilling on the ground. So what happened next? What happened next is we brought on a bunch of other retailers and a bunch of other verticals and we grew it. Um, and we launched uh, an SDK okay. so that uh, any developer could kind of pick up the tools and start integrating it into their own applications themselves. Um, you know, Target um, 
we had a great experience with them. They ultimately made the decision to go in a different direction. And they kind of, that, I think they learned a lot from the experience with us and uh, they have their drive up program now, mm -hmm. which I think is going rather well. So we're proud of the kind of role that we played in like laying the groundwork for them. But it, eventually our business is much sort of more broad and we've done a lot in drug, beauty, grocery, or here and um, actually food, like fast food has grown yeah. like crazy for us. That's so. what I was gonna go next, actually. Yeah. That was actually one of the things that uh, you know, really led me to, to want to speak with you today, some of the stuff you're doing at QSR too, and some of the, in terms of who the clients are that you guys have there and, and, and what yeah. you're learning. How was that? What was the transition like from just retail, like as in the early infancy of putting the, the, the Airstream trailer out there, whatever yeah. it's Gulfstream trailer, whatever it's called, I always get that confused, but out in the parking lot and, you know, going to QSR and, and helping in that arena. I imagine that's, there's probably a ton of experimentation going on in, in that. Yeah, it's really different, but you know, in retrospect, QSR would have been a great place to start because mm. it is um, the most frequent retail purchase that people make, right? And so what I've belatedly realized uh, is that where the frequency is is where the consumer expectation gets driven, yeah. right? So if you're using the Starbucks app and you're getting coffee every mm. single morning through the Starbucks app and you're having a good experience, that's conditioning you to believe that you should have that that level of experience everywhere else. And they've done a really good job of like figuring that out. And so some of our other partners like Chick-fil-A have seen when they get the experience exactly right, they see this kind of phenomenal unlock of like consumer demand where it's just, it's smooth in the ordering side, it's smooth in the pickup side and everything is like taken care of and you go. And our technology plays a role in that because they know when the customer's coming, so the customer doesn't have to check in or they're just taking friction out of that pickup side of the experience um, but what we see play out is those expectations are built because those are the things that you're doing every you know every day or a few times a week then it plays into grocery because grocery is a really high within the rest of retail is a really high purchase frequency category you're doing that twice a week right going to the grocery store um, and then that kind of is cascading down to everyone else, right? So, so following the frequency is really interesting. So is that, there's, I think that's interesting from my perspective on two fronts. So is that interesting from the entrepreneur's perspective on going back to your roots in Apple too and experience design, is there therefore less variability in the experience design too within those types of categories when you find that type of frequency in purchasing like they can enable you to hone in on exactly what the product is a little bit faster yep say like the hamburgers being made the same way the cup of coffee is being made the same way does that play into yeah how yeah. quickly you can go and how quickly you can experiment no definitely like doing now we're doing millions of trips a week where we're tracking that on our platform uh, so the way you know our platform works is somebody orders something in the app and then we're helping follow their journey and notifying when they're five minutes away from the pickup so that you can kind of start preparing the food and have it ready. That kind of volume is like order of magnitude different than most people in retail are doing. Even the big players like Target and Walmart. Right. Um, so that you learn a lot from dealing with that kind of volume. We use machine learning, for example, to predict when the customer's coming. So all of those trips, we train our algorithms and it makes us better and better at being able to give that reliable heads up that the customer's coming. The other aspect of it is the importance of the operations. So uh, what I can say is like Starbucks, by getting the experience right, 
it, it, you know, they, they went through a lot to get that experience right. And then they experienced a real skyrocket. And I think they've been public about, you know, 14% of their orders now come through the mobile app. Right. It's a huge amount. It's right. just phenomenal because they do so many orders. And you go to some stores um, in, on the West Coast and, like, probably half of the people are ordering it ahead on the app. So that creates a whole second order set of operational challenges um, in that context. And the, the solve or the unlock for that, or the way we can help uh, as, a, as a technology partner is to give them great data. So we've done a lot on instrumenting our platform so that um, you can see how long that customer is waiting on site or how long, for mm. example, is it between when they arrive and when there's a service event, when, when they're actually taken care of, those types of questions which have um, played well for us in grocery as well. And, and you know, our, through our partnership with Kroger, they've really been pushing us on the operational piece to get better and better data and better and better metrics. So, you know, it's like uh, you, you solve the customer experience thing and then that leads to a ramp in demand. And then the, the ramp in demand means that you encounter a new set of operational challenges and then you, you, you got to bring data to the table to overcome those. And then and we'll see what's the next. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I think to that point, too, one of the things we always are we always talk about is that kind of omnichannel retail or whatever you want to call it is really the intersection of the human, the physical, and the digital design elements, right? Within the concept of experience design. Yeah. So you mentioned Chick Fil A. I, I think Chick Fil A, partially to your guys' credit, it sounds like has one of the better omnichannel experience designs out there through their mobile app. I think it's amazing from a personalization perspective, from the pickup aspects of what you can do in that app. How, if in any way, and especially for what you can talk about, how, how does the store architecture start to play into the operations and what you do too? I mean, from your roots, if we were in the parking lot, to now this is this is in the parking lot, you're in the store, it's much different. It's a great, so no, how do a, you think about that? That's a great question. It's so interesting to think about what stores are gonna look like, right? But you've seen all the announcements about um, pickup only stores, right? And I think, we're going to see more and more of that. You think and, there'll be and more? More and more. Like I know, I know of. I won't. I won't speak to any particular partner, but we we see a ton of it, experimentation going on and success, and so that's rolling out. QSR what, and retail, or do you think it's specific to any vertical? I'm going to go back to my theory here that the the frequency is all QSR. So whatever's happening in QSR today, we can expect to be happening in retail, like in like three to five years because okay. the consumer gets used to those experiences. So I, I think it's cascading through. I'm obviously a huge believer in pickup, but a lot of times you can do, um, like what, what Chipotle's done with their Chipotle lane, it's dual, it's dual purpose. So if you're a consumer, you come up and you fly through a lane and your food's brought out, but it's also servicing all the door dashers and all the other delivery folks who are, who are creating pressure on the in-store experience, which they want to kind of preserve, right? Like they don't want that to, to go away. So that, so you can, it's, there's like this, it's like this defensive trench that they're setting up out front to make everyone's experience better flying through without having, you know, you don't want to walk into the Chipotle and there's like 10 DoorDash drivers standing inside waiting for their, you know. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah or third party deli last mile delivery providers and groceries, same, same yeah. issue, right? It's interesting to think about. We, we wrote a piece recently for Forbes about the partnership with Kroger and Walgreens and you know what is the actual yeah. pickup point in the future but it 
you're making me think about it in a different way just as you're talking like, yeah, what if there's just a pickup Target or a pickup Walmart at some point in time yeah. that's completely different than anything we're talking about? Well, what do you think? Because one of the things that, yeah. that I think is that investors to some degree are subsidizing some of this delivery activity. So there's no question that the consumer wants it, right? Um, and if you give it to the consumer at an affordable price, they're going to keep They'll keep doing it, it. yeah. It's like, it's like a drug. Right, exactly. But um, if you look at what's going on in the public markets and you kind of play it forward five years, I think that some of, some of the growth is being subsidized, right? And some of that will go away, but pickup is going to continue to grow because everyone is using their phone to initiate all these transactions. And so like, why, why should I go into the store? Why should I wait in the checkout line? Why should I find everything I need on the aisles if, you, if you're going to deliver that to me, right? I 100% agree with you. I think for me, and that was part of the, some of the tenets of the piece, was that I think the question starts, we start to visit the question a lot of our writing of what are the moments in people's lives where you need that type of activity to happen? So, you know, how do you create the pickup locations on my way to work, on my way home from work, on my lunch break, in my co-working space, at my gym? Yeah. You know, the places or moments where I go in my life. And because those have so many economic benefits too, the demand's easier to forecast. Yeah. You can schedule the deliveries on specific times to specific places. There's a whole territory that you've got me thinking even stronger about this actually, from the way you're talking about it. So, like, but there's so many beneficial aspects of that that haven't been explored yet. Before we even get to the last mile, that's actually one of my takeaways from this show too. Is we're still far from even the last 20 feet. And so there, there's a yeah. lot of this interim steps in the areas that you guys are playing in. So. Yeah. Well, that's why it's an interesting time, right? Yeah. There's so much going on. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Do these, this move or this theory about moving towards more delivery locations present any new challenges or, I guess, opportunities for, for you guys as you're thinking about how you support those, those QSRs and retailers? Yeah. I mean, I think the challenge as a technology provider is to stay ahead of it without you can get pulled in a million different directions. Right. So there's so much opportunity going on right now. Yeah. So we try to look at the landscape. We're building a single platform, um, and we want to we want to be of service to as many retailers as possible. But there's so much experimentation going on at the same time. Yeah. So so probably you know the kinds of labs that you guys are running. You see just a huge diversity of different things and approaches, and like we we see a bit of that too. Okay. And it's like trying to tease out like okay where where is the mainstream of things actually heading and which of these use cases is actually serving a consumer need in a way that is going to be gratifying for them, right? Sure. And it's hard, sometimes hard to know when there's so many pilots going on out there, like which, which of these have traction, right? There's a lot of, um, you know, I'm sure there's probably a hundred announcements that we're going to hear. Oh, at, the show, right? at least, like yeah, a, at like least. You, oh my gosh, there's probably a hundred just in the last hour. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? yeah, exactly, no, exactly. All the tech that's out there. So you just like, there's so much information flooding in Right, um, but part of it is I think using using volume as your guide, like follow right. follow the consumer because there's all kinds of announcements and noise in the in the market. But yeah. what are what are consumers actually taking to? And if you can tease that out, then you can see how you can be helpful. Yeah, I, I think it it may unlock some things that become I think more operational for the retailer or QSR too. I mean, the, I, what I think they're not prepared for yet is quite the volume that they're going to be doing with these 
delivery or pickup only stores and yes. how that changes. You know, right now it's like the Starbucks pickup only. They say it, the benefits will be that the, the staff won't have to be cleaning bathrooms or managing the cafe portion. They can just focus on operations and there surely will be efficiencies that come through with robotics and other things to help you know, reduce the, the number of people that have to be working there. But I think there's still a lot that can happen when, when you have that frequency that customers will be demanding because they're so used to that experience. So what other things come as a result of that and how could, you know, how can you guys help play a part it, in that? It's yeah. a great point, Anne, because I think what you guys are both saying effectively is it actually allows you as the restaurant to focus more on the quality of the food. Yeah, which is what people care about the most. Right. So you know, if you create these types of situations or locations, like you can devote your work, devote your workforce to food and food prep, and that, totally. that's so important. So yeah, that's your differentiator, right? At the end of the day, even though intuitively it actually feels like you're doing the opposite, but in reality, you are doing exactly that. So okay, I have to ask just to shift gears a little bit. So 2018, I think it was June, big, mm-hmm. big, big milestone in, yeah. in the history of what we've been talking about. So what happened then? So we became part of the Rakuten family. Uh, Rakuten is, uh, you know, for those who don't know, is a big uh, headquartered in Japan, 10 billion plus um, company uh, focused on e-commerce. And uh, they had started as a marketplace in Japan uh, 20 years ago um, and have a real philosophy around um, the Japanese word is omotenashi, which means uh, serving serving the customer, and uh, empowering retailers is really part of their DNA. So we met um, actually through Ebates, uh, which is now called Rakuten Rewards. Um, They're a part of the Rakuten family, and we had been talking to them about click and collect, um, really kind of hit it off with them well, met uh, the founder of the company and some of the other folks in Japan, and um, found that we really saw things in a, in a in this, we saw the world in the same kind of way, where we were um, we wanted to empower merchants and retailers to deliver great experiences to the end consumer. Uh, and Racton, I think, saw the opportunity in the United States. Um, they're very um, large in their home market in Japan, and they're making investments around the world to kind of continue their growth. Um, and saw the opportunity in the United States to come in. Um, continue to support the work that we've been doing um, and uh, become even a better partner to retailers and deepen their partnerships with retailers in the United States um, beyond sort of what, um, you know, merchants already know them through um, Ebates, through Rakuten Marketing, which was Linkshare and and other properties. So uh, really exciting. Uh, You know, they've been investing. We've grown the company quite a bit rebranded from curbside to um, Rakuten and Ready and are aligning with um, some of the other capabilities that are in the company. And one of the interesting things is that, you know, I'd mentioned earlier, kind of when you get the experience right, you, you take the cork off and you unlock a lot of latent demand. Um, one of our experiences for, for is that some of our retail partners actually struggle with kind of marketing and awareness mm-hmm. in the digital side. So one thing we've been doing is aligning our platform with some of the demand capabilities which Rakuten already brought to the table in the United States mm. so that you can um, build around Rakuten Ready um, and kind of turn on the lights and um, flood in with consumers who are uh, 
mobile first, digitally savvy types of shoppers who might not be in the existing demographic of some of the retailers that we've worked with in the past. So, right. And they might yeah. not have the tools and capabilities to develop those things themselves and exactly. need to partner with somebody like you. Right. Right. So there's a really nice, we saw this sort of like really nice alignment between the pieces that we've been developing that they've been developing. And um, so it's been really fast uh, year plus that we've been in there, but really super positive. So. That's great. Yeah. And so what's next for you guys? Well, and you're at grocery shop. So how are you approaching the show and, and, and kind of what's what's what the future might hold in store? Uh, we're just we're talking to everyone, you know, uh, meeting meeting some really fascinating people and um, lots to come. And uh, lots to come in the next twelve months. Um, it's like I don't have anything to unveil at your on on this on this talk, but uh, that's okay because this yeah, talk yeah. has been great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, this is yeah. this is awesome. Yeah, it's a great show. Um, well, we'll get you out on how millennial are you if you're willing to play. Uh oh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're gonna ask you three questions. We ask them of all of our guests, but it's really fun to just get a sense of. Not whole, how old or young you are, but how curious you might be, we'll okay. say. Um, so with that, we'll start. So when you are going to a grocery store, for example, um, are you paying with a mobile payment or are you pulling out cash or a credit card? Mobile payment. Apple Pay. Yeah? Always? Nine times out of ten. Okay. Nice work. All right. All nice. right. Um, That's the one that always trips everybody up. It is. You yeah. Passed. Yes, you passed yeah. number one. Surprisingly, right? <laughs> yeah, I love Apple Pay. Um, not, the next question. So in the last week, how many times have you ordered food or coffee from a mobile app? Once. But I was in Japan last week, and mobile ordering is not as advanced there as it is here. Really? Yes. What? Surprisingly. Yeah, why is that, you think? Um, Mobile payment is huge there. QR okay. pay. Yeah. But so if you'd asked me that, I would have said 100 times, pay for everything yeah. with my mobile there. But uh, mobile order ahead for pickup yes. is a big opportunity over there for us. And that's part of the, that's part of the That's right. I remember reading that in some of the announcements last year. I think we talked about yeah. that on our podcast, actually. Yeah. yeah. Why that is, uh, that's, another, that's a longer story. But, <laughs> well, yeah. we'll do another yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. on that one. Another 30 minutes. Yes. Back on Japan. All right. <laughs> All right, last question. If you could only use one social app for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Ooh. Um, well, I'm going to go off, off piste here and say uh, Spotify. Spotify. Oh, Spotify. Yeah, it's not really a social app, but it is kind of is a social app. Yeah, it definitely is. I've yeah. never. I'm a huge music lover. I love Spotify, and I guess I never would have categorized it as a social app, but it definitely is. Me and, too. I don't like. I I've sort of gotten off Facebook and a lot of the like traditional social apps. Yeah. But I, I love music as well, and I discover so much music by following people on Spotify. Oh man, do you have any recommendations? That, is there anybody we should be following on? Spotify? You should follow me. I will now. <laughs> this is amazing. This is life changing. I don't have a big following or anything. But that's yeah. okay. That's okay. I mean, even follow. You don't even think about. It. I. I think that's an untapped like kind of experience that people don't realize. That's always been a thing to do. I mean, you can follow anybody, but I guess I have like maybe one person that I follow on accident. Yeah, I think. 
I think it's, hopefully it'll grow. Hopefully yeah. following people on Spotify is something that is happening and it's going to continue to, because I agree, it's under, uh, undertapped opportunity. Yeah. Awesome. Well, what a, what a day. I mean, we had one CEO drop his phone number on a podcast. <laughs> We've got another one saying, follow me on Spotify. Like, yeah. that's why we do this. Make everybody feel like just There's everyday something people. For it's real authentic. We've got construction happening around us here at the show. <laughs> like, God knows what's yeah. coming, but... Hey, man, that was great. Thank you so much. Yeah. If people are listening to this, either at the show or maybe, you know, next week at home on their way into work, like, what's the best way to get in touch with Rakuten Ready? You can just email me, jaron.waldman at rakuten.com. Great. And thank you guys for having me. It was really fun. Awesome. Yeah, no, it was a blast. An absolute blast. So thanks to our sponsors, too, Grabango and Listener. Jaron, so thank you so much for being on the show again. Jaron Waldman, CEO of Rakuten Ready. And for all our listeners out there, be careful out there.